This week's episode includes another baptism-related discussion. This one focuses on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. After we listen to the discussion, I'll have some hopefully helpful summary comments. I got a question for you. Okay. So you and I are not exactly on the same page on what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. So I was going to ask you, so what do you think it is? When someone said to you, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What would you tell them? I would say it's when you receive the, the Holy Spirit into you. That's what I would say. And what verse would you use to support that definition? I'm trying to find one, I think, sort of near the beginning of Acts. What verse are you looking for? Because maybe I don't I even might... I don't even know. It's then let me ask another question. Okay. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and water baptism the same thing? I don't think so. Okay, that's good. So there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there's water baptism. Well, that's good. Now, what happens when you're baptized with water? Here's a better way to put the question. What do you receive when you're baptized with water? God's approval. <laughs> okay, well, think of a quote. Can you quote some Bible verse that talks about receiving something when you're baptized? Jesus. What verse says that? Uh, the dove of God came down and. Well, that's what happened when Jesus was baptized. Yeah. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where. The Apostle Peter says, when they asked him, what shall we do, right? Mm -hmm. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Okay. I would say no. I would say that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, from the words, you might think, is it the gift which is the Holy Spirit, or is it the gift that the Holy Spirit has for you? We see in other verses, like in Acts chapter 5, where the Holy Spirit is given 
to all who obey. So you receive the Holy Spirit when you're baptized, but is that what's being referred to when people talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You already said you don't know, so I don't have to ask you again. I don't have to torture you. So where does the phrase come from then, baptism of the Holy Spirit? Who's the first person we have mentioning a baptism of the Holy Spirit? I guess... Maybe Peter? Before Peter, actually. You were on the right path when you mentioned... Jesus is Baptist. Okay. Okay. Right? Because what does... Because John the Baptist says about right. Jesus that he baptized with the Spirit. If you go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And then, we have it mentioned again, I'll just give you this little thumbnail about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, we've got Jesus talking to the apostles just before his ascension. And we start in verse 4, and while he was staying with them, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they stayed in Jerusalem, and then there was this thing that happened to them where the Spirit descended on them, tongues as a fire, and they started talking in tongues, etc., etc., etc. That seems to me to be what they were waiting for. What happens on the day of Pentecost to the apostles, would it be safe to conclude that that event there that happened to the apostles, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Then later on, after Peter gives his sermon and people say, what shall we do? He references the Holy Spirit, but in a different way, right? In Acts 2.38 that we just looked at, he tells them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit which perhaps would be something different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If we think that water baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit are two different things, then whatever you get when you're baptized with water in relation to the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't be correct to call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though many people do. And notice what he also says there. This instruction that he tells them to be baptized and he doesn't say baptized with water, but we see other people carrying it out later, and that's exactly what they do, they baptize with water. We see before, John baptizing with water. We see afterwards, whenever someone says, you know, like the, the Ethiopian eunuch wants to be baptized, they go, well, here's sufficient water, what prevents me from being baptized? But then he also says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the instruction to be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's the instruction that's to everybody. Whereas that kind of language is not present in Acts chapter 1, verse 
4 and 5 where Jesus just tells the apostles to wait and they'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. We see a little bit of a difference here. If someone said to me, well, I think water baptism and baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same thing, then what verse would you use to reinforce this conclusion that they're two different things? What verse would you use? Well, I think this is the one that I was looking for, Acts 19. Acts 19, what verse? Beginning somewhere. But this little story, I think, is what I was looking for. But here, it seems like these were Christians. Right. Because it calls them disciples. It doesn't say necessarily one way or the other whether they actually were. But it seems like it, at least. Um, Paul seems to address them as if they are. Um, But they had not... They had been baptized. Right. But water baptism. They had not received... Well, or John's baptism. John's baptism. So it, it seems to kind of separate, you know, these different parts. You know, the water versus the spirit thing. So here's a question, though. If in Acts chapter 2, we hypothesize that the Holy Spirit baptism, which is clearly the thing that happened in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit when you're baptized are two different things. And here, there's no mention of baptizing with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, just saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Then perhaps this is talking about receiving the Holy Spirit, knowing that you should receive the Holy Spirit, as opposed to him saying, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? But they do... Here, verse 6. So, what preceded them speaking in tongues? Paul laid hands on them. Right. But, assuming, I assume it's Paul who baptized them. Right, so Paul baptized them. It could be one and the same event that it's talking about here, saying, as, as Paul was baptized, and they just split it up into two sentences, you know, as Paul baptized them. The Christians at that time tended to separate the laying on of hands from baptism. And the laying on of hands was connected with setting people apart for a certain work, like in Acts chapter 6, or the imparting of miraculous spiritual gifts, like in Acts chapter 8. So he baptized them, and then he laid his hands on them. There's only one other instance in Acts, as the apostles are going about their things, outside of Acts chapter 2, right, where people started doing some miraculous gift of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues, without either being apostles and it being the day of Pentecost, or the apostles laying their hands on them. Do you know when that is? So, you're saying other than when they're apostles already, or what was the other stipulation? So we see people speaking in tongues and doing miraculous spiritual gifts during the time of the apostles. And we see that happening on the day of Pentecost. We see that happening as a result of the apostles laying their hands on people. Mm-hmm. There's one other instance where we see it happening, and it's not because the apostles laid their hands on somebody. Do you know when that is? I can't think of 
This is very important to remember. It's when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. If you go back to Acts chapter 11, Peter is explaining to the other Jewish Christians about why was he found to be in the house of a Gentile. Now look at this. In verse 15 of Acts 11, this is Peter recounting what happened in Acts chapter 10. He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So now we have Peter mentioning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, how did Peter know the Spirit fell on them? They started talking in tongues. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believe in Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? What Peter did after that, after he saw them speaking in tongues, is he had them baptized with water. Notice how he says it. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. Meaning he's referencing back to Acts chapter 2 that Jesus was pointing them towards when he mentions baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. But notice he doesn't say the Spirit fell on them as it's been all along when we are baptizing people. He doesn't say that. He says, and the Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning. So the Spirit falls on people to indicate something. What message did they get from the Spirit falling on the Gentiles here? That they're included into God's kingdom. Just exactly. Like the Jews. And this is a very important thing because that had been prophesied in Scripture, and even though the Jews didn't really get it, Peter didn't really get it, right? He had to get this vision multiple times before he even went there. This is a very important thing. So God uses the Holy Spirit in a couple of different ways to make sure they get it. But those are the only times that we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit being specifically referenced to an event. And the event is the Holy Spirit coming on people and people speaking in tongues. The apostles in Acts chapter 2, the Gentiles in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. And we see that it's obviously not the same thing as water baptism because after these people who, have, who seem to be baptized in the Holy Spirit now, they actually are now baptized in water. It's a good idea to walk through Acts from the beginning sometime and look at the appearance of these miraculous gifts and such and see how they came about. Are you convinced with what I pointed out from Acts chapter 8 that the general way your average believer got miraculous gifts of the Spirit in the time of the apostles was for one of the apostles to lay their hands on them? Do you agree that that's true? I can't say for sure that's the, you know, basically the only way, or, but that seems to be the, the large the main majority. Way, right. And then someone who received some sort of miraculous gift from an apostle laying their hands on them, was that person able to then do the same thing? Were they able to give somebody else the miraculous power from laying their hands on them? I don't know. So we see that Philip in Acts chapter 8 was unable to because that's the thing that really got Simon the Sorcerer's attention. Before Peter showed up, 
Philip was displaying these miraculous gifts, but he wasn't laying his hands on anybody and giving them the gifts. And people were being baptized. Simon was baptized. And then Peter shows up, and Peter is able to give these miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit to people by laying his hands on them. Simon notices that Peter has a power that Philip didn't have, and then says, hey, can I buy this? And then there's that whole episode that we're familiar with. Questions, thoughts? Is that clarifying a little bit what is meant by the baptism of the Holy Spirit? So you're saying there are three things that we're talking about here? What are the three things? Or are you saying there? Maybe I'm saying that there are three things. Or maybe. Okay. I don't know. What are the three things that you're saying then? Okay, there seem to be. Okay, water. Baptism, spirit baptism, and then the spirit coming upon you. I would say the three things are different, because when Peter says in Acts chapter 11, the spirit came upon them, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So the spirit coming upon them and Holy Spirit baptism is the same thing. But when we're baptized with water, we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. It doesn't mean that we start doing miracles. You've seen a bunch of people get baptized. They didn't, right after they were baptized, start doing miracles or speaking in tongues or anything like that. So there's no outward sign of that. But we know that we receive the Holy Spirit when we're baptized because the Bible tells us. Repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm quoting from Acts 2.38. This command is for you and all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. So if you were baptized, if you were called by God, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. But there's no outward sign of that receiving the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is referenced specifically in two occasions, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and 11. And that baptism of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by miraculous signs. The apostles had those tongues as if a fire on their heads, and they started talking of tongues. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we had the people in Cornelius' house, when the Holy Spirit fell on them, that's also a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they started speaking in tongues, and Peter references that very same verse quoting Jesus from Acts chapter 1. So the two times that there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit is Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10, 11. And then that's it. There's no other time where someone says, aha, this is what Jesus was talking about back there and that John was referencing. And that comes from a careful reading of the text. Now, people say all sorts of stuff about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I think is incorrect, and Pentecostals, for one. I think a lot of people are influenced by the Pentecostals. And, well, I guess then a fourth thing, laying on of hands. And laying on of hands was something that they could ceremonially do when they were assigning someone a task. And people did that in the church. But the apostles had an ability that when they laid their hands on somebody, 
they could impart miraculous gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that every time they touched somebody, they got miraculous gifts. But they had the ability to, at the Spirit's discretion, give someone the ability to do miraculous gifts at the laying on of the Apostles' hands. And Acts 8 specifically says that. When Simon saw that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit could be given the laying on of the apostles' hands, then he wanted to buy this. And it was for a specific purpose. It was to confirm the word. We know that from Mark chapter 15, when it mentions that when the apostles went about, the word was confirmed by these various miraculous signs. Once we've got the Bible, we don't need these miraculous gifts to confirm the word, because the word's all right here. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, wonderment, dismay. <laughs> See, another thing that the Pentecostals tend to teach is that when someone gets a miraculous gift, it signifies that they've attained a certain spirituality. That's not necessarily true. The Holy Spirit may bring something about, even someone that doesn't necessarily, has not achieved a certain spiritual level. That's why we have what was going on in Corinth. The Apostle Paul was laying his hands on people, giving them miraculous spiritual gifts, and then he was gone, and they were turning the church into a circus. And then he's like, no, you guys aren't practicing these spiritual gifts properly. So it means that, yeah, they had the gifts. It didn't mean that they were spiritually mature or had attained to any spiritual level. The Pentecostals tend to connect that with attaining some. They tend to connect it with being saved. Some Pentecostal churches will say that you need to be doing some miraculous outpouring of the Spirit before we baptize you. That happens first, like it did with the people in Cornelius' household. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say these miraculous gifts came upon these people, so now we realize that they had achieved some spiritual love and they needed to be baptized. In fact, the message that Peter got and they got had nothing really to do with them specifically there. You know, the reason, Gentile status. Yeah, exactly. Just because they were Gentiles, and so this is God signifying something. Not that they're all very spiritual people, but God signifying that he wants the gospel to go to the Gentiles. That's what he's saying by laying the Spirit on them. When the apostles were doing miracles, it was like, well, these are the guys you should listen to. It impressed people. We see in the book of Acts all the time where people were impressed that they would do various miraculous gifts. So then they paid attention to what they were saying. So that's God saying, listen to these people. That's confirming the word that the apostles were teaching by the miraculous gifts. Those are the purpose of the gifts. Any thoughts about this, or is this boggling your mind? You can study more and see if this, if this thumbnail sketch satisfies you, or you think there's something that I need to correct in what I'm saying. Yeah, I do need to to look at it more. One helpful thing is to just read through Acts with an eye on people doing miraculous gifts. Because there are certain benchmarks in the book of Acts about people giving gifts, and one of them is Acts chapter 6. From the beginning of Acts to Acts chapter 6, the only people that it indicates are doing miraculous deeds are the apostles. 
And then in Acts chapter 6, when the apostles lay their hands on the group of seven, then from that point on, we see other people, Philip in particular, for example, doing miraculous gifts after the hands being laid on them. And then we have that story in Acts chapter 8, which drives that point home. Now, you wouldn't get this about the specific wording when these miraculous gifts are mentioned, unless you were looking for them. So sometime, just read through the book of Acts with that in mind and see if that isn't true. Like, see if you see any instances before Acts chapter 6 of anybody other than an apostle doing any miraculous gifts, etc. The term baptism of the Holy Spirit can mean different things to different people. There are a variety of teachings in the world today concerning this term. Some teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing thing even today. But what did Jesus and his apostles teach? We went over the passages in our discussion that teach us that Jesus and his apostles only applied the concept that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit to two specific events, the day of Pentecost and the event at the household of Cornelius. This is a very useful method for clarifying just what the Bible is teaching us. We often come across passages that may be taken in various ways, and so it is helpful to look at how the concept was understood at the time it was communicated. Much confusion and error could be cleared up by using this method. Clearly, Jesus performed many miracles, and this was all for a specific purpose that others at the time understood. The apostles also performed many miraculous signs and wonders also for a specific purpose. And the people who witnessed these things clearly understood the meaning of the signs. The specific purpose was to confirm the word being preached by Jesus and later his apostles. Look at Mark 16, starting at verse 15, and in particular verse 20. Or take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, which starts off like this. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, that's Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's verses 1 through 4 in chapter 2 of Hebrews. That gives us a good framework to understand God's purpose with miracles during the days of Jesus and the Apostles. We also see from Scripture that while the Apostles had the ability 
to pass on the power to perform these miraculous signs and wonders, those who they gave the ability to did not have the ability to pass on this power. And so it is clear that these abilities were meant to cease. They would only be available for a limited period of time. The Apostle Paul refers to this as he is attempting to correct the behavior of some in the church at Corinth who were abusing the miraculous gifts they had been given. And so in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 he says that tongues would be stilled and prophecies would cease. And that pretty much conforms with what we see today. Nobody is doing miracles like Jesus and his apostles did. I've also heard it taught that some miraculous manifestation of the Spirit indicates that the individual is saved. This was never the case even in the times of the apostles or anywhere in scripture for that matter. Some even teach that a miraculous sign such as speaking in tongues is necessary in order to be saved. Once again, clearly not taught in scripture and this false teaching comes from man-made traditions and not God. Now I'm often asked at this point if I'm saying that God can't do miracles anymore. Of course that is not true and not at all what I'm saying. God is all-powerful and he can do whatever he wants but scripture does not teach us to expect that in this day and age miraculous signs and wonders would accompany our religious activity. We have the complete written Word of God to confirm any teaching we receive. The Apostle Peter wrote, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's 2 Peter 1 verse 19. The surrounding verses are also helpful, so read that entire uh, first section of Second Peter. And also take a look at Second Timothy 3.16, which echoes the idea that what Scripture is there for us is for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness. That's the tool we should be using. We should not be looking for miracles to teach us. We should be turning to the Word of God as our spiritual instructor. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at believeandfollow.org. That's all for now. Goodbye and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be Sweeter are
so than honey.